Ciao. We're back. Episode three. It's Wednesday. Probably going to be coming out on Thursday. A bit late. Sorry about that, but it's the Wednesday episode. Um, Destroyer. That's what's on this week. I have nothing to report in this early section, so we're just going to go right ahead. Oh, it's a busy day at the shop. What's that? Who's that? Dinging donging at my bell. It's me, good sir, a customer. I am here to consume media products of the musical kind. Oh, is that right? And what are you after today, chap? Well, today I'm looking for the new record by the band Destroyer called Have We Met? Do you have this in stock? Yeah, that'll be about 40 bucks. Okay, so... Destroyer have just released a new album, and it's called Have We Met. Now, if you're not familiar with Destroyer, they only have kind of one claim to fame, and that is the 2011 album Kaput, which was uh, quite highly regarded on release. Um, Great reviews in Pitchfork and all those magazines, and... Yeah, if you look at all the, the lists of, you know, greatest albums of the decade, it, it, it's on all of them from the end of last year. Um, and it, it was quite a good album. It was uh, an attempt by the frontman, Dan Beja. As far as I understand it, um, every album they had made as a group up to that point had been aiming to uh, replicate an entirely different style. Uh, and when it got up to that point, he said, I want to do something kind of new wavy, something kind of um, Blue Nile-esque, you know, something kind of Tears for Fearsy. So they did that, and that was kaput. Um, and strangely enough, that style that was meant to be a one-off ended up being the style they stuck to for the rest of the decade. So every al- every record that came out from them afterwards, and there was one called... Uh, Poison Season in 2015 and then one called Ken in 2017 and then now this one Have We Met in uh, 2020 and they all seem to be building off of this style in Kaput which is strange because that was meant to be a one-off and there's not so much you can do with it if it's not your natural mode of songwriting if you're still trying to play a character um, because he was in kind of 20, the in Kaput, I mean, um, he's doing a little faux English accent and acting a bit, acting a bit Morrissey, acting a bit Robert Smith and, and kind of lyrically it's, it's, I think, fairly different from his previous work, which seems to have, have been a little bit more contemporary and a l- little bit more American in its cultural focus, um, whereas Kaput was the opposite of that and therefore a shock uh, not not just uh, for his career, but just for the general the scene of of uh, kind of indie rock, um, indie pop around that time. But then he decided uh, he and the band decided to make it their staple, which is strange, very strange. 
Um, but that happens to bands sometimes, you know, like The Cure, for example. They change styles every every record up until Wish in 1992. And then every single album they've released since 1992, The Cure has sounded almost identical to, to that record, Wish. It's very, very odd, very peculiar. They just... Sometimes bands just shut down and stop innovating. I'm not saying that they've stopped innovating, um, but I had I had some some grievances with this album. Have we met? Which is well, it's annoying because I was really counting on this being excellent, and it just it just didn't end up being excellent. Um, my main problem with it, okay, so it's the twelfth studio album, right? Yeah. Um, my main problem with it. Just from a, a structure st standpoint, is that it's it's kind of uh, too long, even though it's not it's not a long record. It's like forty minutes, but it's just much too long for the kind of thing that they're doing. Okay, so none of these songs necessarily are particularly uh, 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 pop-like in structure. Um, some of them are your standard verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, whatever you want. And then some of them are kind of six minute, um, almost like it, it feels like instrumental playgrounds for Dan Bejar to just do his kind of, his thing lyrically, vocally over this um, texture, which is fine sometimes, but this album kind of fails where Kaput succeeded. And I have my own issues with Kaput. With, with, with Kaput. Um, it took me a long time to come around to it because it's got some flaws. But the sum of the whole when it comes to that album is, is quite quite a bit more than, than, than its individual parts, as they say. This um, isn't like that. And it kind of feels like maybe the steam is running out. Maybe the steam ran out with Poison Season. I haven't heard that. I didn't bother, you know, like I have, I, I, I haven't kind of thought in the last couple of years, you know, in, in, in the time in which I've been engaged in, in music in such a deep way. I've never thought, oh, I'll just check up on Destroyer. Like, it kind of, you kind of think, if this is worth hearing, I'll hear about it. Um, and it seems to me like this hasn't been working for them very well. And there's there's all this, on the Wikipedia page and in the interviews, there's all this stuff about how they're basing it off of the minimalism of 80s hip-hop and Leonard Cohen and all this shit. They're not. It's not. It's the it's the same new wave style, synthy, you know, background horn stuff that was happening in, in Kaput. Maybe shunted forward two or three years, you know, maybe... This is slightly too advanced for '88. Maybe this is from '90. This could be from 1991. Like it's not, it's not um, enough of a stylistic change to even be worth commenting upon. And this was meant to be a Y2K album. Apparently, it was meant to draw on um, lots of different groups from the late '90s and the very early 2000s: Bjork and and, and Massive Attack and Air and people, you know, groups and stuff like that. Um, but apparently. Uh, that concept was quickly uh, thrown away, and then they did this. 
which is fine, but I guess, I don't know. I, I feel like the lyrical style is too stream of consciousness for what should be, in terms of production and instrumentation, quite tight songs. He kind of just mumbles, and it's not that bad. You know I exaggerate, but he mumbles over this instrumental bed for a little while and kind of says some kind of faux, clever things, like trying to be literary but not making the jump. Like, taking the run-up and then getting up to the jump and kind of stumbling and stopping. So you, you've you got all these lines, you know, I can't even think of any, but it's like that kind of... You're not sure whether he's trying to be ironic or not. You knew in Kaput, in Kaput that because he was kind of lampooning and doing a love letter to an entire genre and era and everything, you knew he was trying to lampoon a little bit. But the success that that had, that album had, relative to anything else I've ever done, may have kind of given them the wrong idea. Because uh, I think he's being serious now. And that's the problem, because some of these are nice enough, and then some of these are like... Like, let me just... I'm going to read you, as if it were poetry, the first stanza, the first lyrics of this record off the song Crimson Tide, very first song. And look, I'm not saying these are terrible lyrics, I'm just saying there's a certain pretentiousness to it that makes your toes curl. Listen. I was like the laziest river, a vulture predisposed to eating off floors. No, wait, I take that back. I was more like an ocean stuck inside hospital corridors. Dude. No. That's kind of shit. You know what I mean? This is this is a kind of a... It's very adolescent. The whole record is very adolescent, very unpolished um, in the way that... Because the draw of this seems to be um, his lyrics. It seems to be like, oh, look at big Mr. Big Man artist, Dan Bajar Man. He's going to regale you with his tales and with his words and you're going to be amazed by what a poet he is. That seems to be the implication of most of this album. But it's just not there. It's not there. Right? He doesn't have the loveliest voice. Again, I'll always defend the poor vocal performance. But when in every song you're doing the same semi-ironic, I don't care thing where you barely say the words, um, that doesn't work. Especially not for 40 minutes straight. It kind of gets old uh, in a way that it didn't on Kaput. And Kaput had a lot, of, a lot more instrumental diversity than this, a lot more difference in, in structure of song you know the, it, it was a much more eclectic album this isn't this feels like it's trying to be a mood piece a kind of ambient piece in this because there's been a rise of ambient rock and ambient pop like pop music and rock music that's good enough on its own but it can also be used as ambient music because it it, it maintains a theme very well a lot of nick cave's work this decade has been that in that realm it's been insanely successful very good shit right this didn't manage that didn't manage just being um your average kind of pop record either and i don't know how to feel about this i don't think my opinion will change and i think if i listen to have we met again i'll end up feeling more negatively about it which is a shame i really wanted to like this i never go into something wanting to dislike it and i don't start from zero and build up and i don't start from 10 and build down i kind of start from seven and see if anything makes me change that that's kind of how i that's kind of how i feel and this just 
I had no reason to even like. There's no. There's not enough reason to dislike it. There's enough good individual concepts in it that if you were working on this with him, you know, if there was somebody working on this with him that was a little bit less uh, trying to be indie, trying to be critically, you know, but because this got a good critical write up from everyone, all the usual, all the usual subs, you know, suspects, but like, it's like, it's obvious, it's like that, um, I don't know, just sometimes people seem to release a record trying to get critical positivity happening, like, they, they try and do what they know they're going to be lauded for, and that, like, it worked, I guess, it hasn't been that well loved, you know, The Guardian gave it four stars, and that was... Uh, was that Alexis? Pet- it was. It was Alexis Petridis, Petridis, who's one of those, one of the great reviewers of the internet age. Gave him four stars and eight point five from Pitchfork, which is bullshit. That's way too high. Seven from Exclaim, and Metacritic is Metacritic's always super high for a record if it come out recently because it just gets review bombed every time. Doesn't even matter who the band is. Anything comes out, a Metacritic just gets re- positive, positive review bombs for like two or three months, and then eventually it equalizes. It's a, it's a terrible system because of the, the user reviews. And the critical reviews, they can count something as far in disparate as, you know, whatever the hell. Some blog, it doesn't matter. Um, not to say I didn't find little nuggets of, of gold in this, like I was saying. It, like, it's... it's regardless of the rating that I give things... The important thing for me as well, if I were the one listening, would be, is it worth listening to? Like, should I put time aside and, and engage with the work? And the answer is no, you shouldn't. You shouldn't, right? Now that I have, do I regret it? Not really, but could I have used my time better? Maybe, probably, yeah. Um, I, don't, I certainly don't feel anywhere near as negatively about this as Modus Vivendi. This had lots of great ideas and there was great stuff on it, but it was... Overall, not awesome. And none of the individual songs stand out so much. I know I always, if I'm, you know, same with the Modus Vivendi, for example. I was so negative about it. But then when you're negative about something and then you play it, 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 it's its best song after that, it, it, it kind of cuts through your point poorly. So I've been thinking maybe I should do worst track and best track, but then that would add like, 10 minutes to every episode and there's no point saying hey you want to hear the worst song on this record yeah I bet you do let's go like no it doesn't work like that so I'm not going to do it but just keep in mind when it's the best I do mean the best I don't mean here's an uh, here's the median no it's the best um, and so I might play what I think is the best from this the one that sounded a little bit different to the others because the others did sound quite similar to one another just in terms of um, their production work and things like that uh and this song is called this song is called uh it just doesn't happen i think it's the third track Mm -hmm. um this record gets like a 6.5 from me maybe maybe a seven but maybe a six and a half we're gonna call it six and a half and i'll if i if i keep doing this until the end of the year which i doubt right I'm getting three listeners an episode right now and that's okay but really um, that pretty much just means me refreshing the page a couple of times so if I'm still doing this by December 
and I do a, a year wrap-up, maybe I will revise this rating. It's, a, it's always a chance. But six and a half for Have We Met by Destroyer. And uh, this song is called It Just Doesn't Happen. Just happen to anyone
you very kindly for listening to another episode of Record Store. Um, the sound effects here are from soundbible.com. And Night in Venice, a little jazz song, is by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. If you'd like to contact the podcast and talk to me, your hero, I promise you it's possible. Email us at recordstorepodcast at gmail.com. Have a lovely week. I'll see you on Friday for the next episode. Um, And on Friday we're talking about the new Pet Shop Boys record, which I think was probably going to be shit. All right, see you. (laughs) Thank you.